All right, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the uh, second episode of Hatch House. I'm your host Nathan Youssef. Today I got my good friends Blaine Holcomb and Will Pellerin with me, and of course Corey Ellison mixing everything together. This podcast we just get together, we talk about everything Nashville music. Um, we go on long tangents about I don't even know what, but um, happy to have you guys on. Yeah, yeah. Glad Good to, to be, be back. back. Good to be and, back. Uh, <clears throat> Merry Christmas. Yeah, I guess. Well, so. Happy New Year. Happy New you Year. still have a Christmas tree up, so. I do. You well, can still say that. It'll it's be January. here before you know it. Yeah. Yeah. It's January uh, 11th, 12th, 13th. It's yeah. one, of the, one of these yeah. days. It's the 11th, I think. The 11th. Yeah. Nice. When this podcast goes live, it might be the 13th or 14th. Or What'd you guys do? Uh, depending for, on whatever, for, whatever Corey gets it done. You know, Corey's going to get done <laughs> real quick. What'd you guys do for uh, for Christmas? Uh, Christmas, I was up in Plattsburgh, New York at my parents' place. Um, it was awesome. Yeah. I spent a week up there. went up there the 18th, stuck around for a while. Uh, they hit a bunch of snow right before I got up there and it rained a ton. And I flew into Albany, New York, which if anybody in Nashville is looking for a cheap flight to New York, Albany's the way to go. How far is Albany? Syracuse is probably equally as cheap. How far is that from New York City? Uh, two hours to two New York hours? City. Yeah, that kind of sucks. Yeah, that's, if you're if you're flying, I just met I met the state. Okay, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. But uh, yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, we were talking about the state, not the city. But it would it would have cost me close to eight hundred dollars to fly into Burlington, Vermont, which then I have to drive an hour to my oh, parents' okay. place. But I got you, a ticket for like two hundred dollars, and then you guys are car. you guys are both upstate New York. Yeah, different parts of upstate. Um, Will's from basically like southern Montreal. Yeah. Okay. He's from right by the border of Quebec, and I'm from uh, from Hamilton, which is like an hour from Syracuse. Okay. I'm like like middle of the state. He's like very northeast corner of the state. I feel like nobody um, is thinking about about y'all, like North uh, Upstate New York. I yeah. feel like people are thinking about when you when you bring up New York, they say New York City. Yeah. Nobody is nobody's right. thinking about anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is yeah, that fair? How do no, no, that's true. That's true. That? Like, yeah. especially down here, people, talk, no, no, talk no, no, that's true. Pe- <laughs> especially down here, people assume New York City, or they, you know, when they when they hear New York. But um, yeah, there's a whole state above New York City. It's New York's actually pretty big. Yeah. Think about from from like New York City all the way across to Buffalo, which is like way far west, um, western part of the state, and then all the way up to Plattsburgh, basically by Quebec. It's a pretty big. Pretty big state. The, another thing that a lot of people that aren't familiar with New York don't realize is that the Adirondack State Park is in northern New York, near where he is from, and it's a six million acre state park. Yeah. So the Adirondack State Park, to put that in perspective, it's so big. It's not a national park; it's a state park, and people actually live within the park. There's little mountain towns within mm-hmm. the park. Um, to put that into perspective, six million acre state park, um, you can fit Yellowstone, Yosemite, Glacier. Grand Canyon and mm-hmm. maybe even one other like national park, all they all fit inside there together. Interesting. Like, that's how big the Adirondack State Park yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, yeah. oh, you're doing some Ever- fact checking here. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, Yellowstone, Grand Canyon, Yosemite, Everglades, and the Great Smoky National Park. Yeah. All wow. fit within the the Adirondack State Park. Interesting. There's 46 high peaks. Um, to qualify as a high, you peak. know so much random. He like, knows he knows the stuff about the Adirondacks too. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. do do people yeah. just know like yeah? He's he's, he's, he's probably he that? he's hiked more high peaks than I have in the Adirondacks. I've done like thirty out okay. of. Uh, I I hunt up there, but he he does more hiking than I do. But you done thirty of them? 
Yeah, yeah you've done it. way more than me. Then I've only done like two. The thing is, um, I probably hiked, you know, forty six peaks. But yeah, I've, I've redone done all forty six. I've redone right? yeah. a bunch. So. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so there's forty six high peaks, um, and to qualify as a high peak, it's got to be at least four thousand feet elevation. Interesting. So there's there's forty six of those. And if you hike all 46, you can, you know, <coughs> become a 46er and you get, I don't know, a patch and a badge and a, I don't know, certificate. Yeah. You, you know. have to, you have to have like a detailed log of the dates you yeah. did it. And you have to be able to prove it. Yeah. Mountains and stuff. Culturally upstate New York, what's the, what's the music scene like? Like what do people listen to? Uh, I think it varies for sure. Um, where I'm from, it's very I would say kind of jam music heavy. What's jam music? Like Fish. Um, okay. Fish Mo, and you know the band Grateful Mo? Dead. Mo is Mo? big in Western one, one New of those, York. Yeah. yeah, one of those guys is uh, in the band is from Central New York, I think. Yeah, they uh, always do like Mo Down <laughs> yeah. every year. But I think country music's actually pretty big too. Like A lot of like the rural areas in New York, it's all farm country. It's all like just kind of farmers and country people and you know okay. outdoors kind of people and I, th- I think country music what would you define popular. your guys's uh genre you're americana and yeah right americana yeah i'd say that yeah okay. i mean the last couple of songs i put out were definitely pop <clears throat> but like pop i guess pop these days is like a it's kind of a buzzword i feel uh-huh. like it's like you could say that people might write you off but you know it's it's a different take on it, it stands for popular music. So it's, it's kind of a catch all for, yeah. Just like catchy music, but um, I don't know. What would you say, Blaine? Your EDM and. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That, that kind of that. Dusty, vibe. dusty jazz, mm-hmm. shoegaze. A little, little everything, yeah. yeah. Definitely not country, though. <laughs> hate country music. Have you put out anything outside of country? No, it's all it's all, it's all country. Pretty, pretty hardcore okay. country. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I'm I'm very country. Have you ever have you ever uh dabbled with, you know, Other I genres? don't know, like Morgan Wallen and Lil Dirk, didn't they make a song oh, together or yeah, something? Yeah, probably, or? yeah. I I don't know. I've never really tried to do any like the pop stuff. Okay. I think like if you look at Morgan Wallen and all the success he's been having like like globally, um, which is great. Um he uh you can't do you can't get the numbers that guy's getting without being pop okay he's pop country like he's great i'm not and that's not a knock you know he's got good music great songwriting i'm just saying like you can't be like a hardcore traditionalist in country music and get that kind of a global like those kind of numbers because there's not that that genre is not that popular right you need to kind of cross over and you need to hit like the pop culture kind of you know like like for example his his album was the number one streamed album globally, like over 6 billion streams in 2023. Like oh, more okay. than any Taylor Swift album, Bieber, anybody. Like Morgan Wallen had the number one most streamed album in the world last year. Wow. And and his song Last Night was the most streamed song in 2023. But it's a pop song. It's pop yeah. country, you know. Every time I hear that song, I think of, uh, of Theo Vaughn. Because oh, yeah, yeah. he has that podcast, and he always like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, like randomly will say like last night, yeah. we made the liquor talk. Yeah, yeah. he's so funny, yeah. Um, I saw that. <laughs> yeah so like pop though like taylor swift too right like that's not mm-hmm. that's not country although no, i think she gets she, groups she, as country, cro- right? she crossed over like she started country but she so then is the over. thought that you know you start in country and eventually you're gonna cross over or uh, do some it, people it, depend, it depends on what you want to do as an artist mm-hmm. i guess i mean with morgan like he's still country 
Um, and I don't think he wants to cross over to pop, but like his 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 that songs are are his his songs yeah. are are both like the it's it's poppy enough so that it works like mainstream was my point right it's still country music but it's like pop country and it crosses over to where it's like it it hits like that pop culture where you know a song like last night becomes that popular because it's not like a Randy Travis record from 1980 right right know? right right yeah and I think you know year over year the needle moves a little bit in different directions like some years you know country right now I think there's a resurgence of country going back towards maybe what it was in the 90s and early 2000s. <clears throat> but, you know, back then, if you were, I don't know, Garth Brooks, like, people thought he was super pop, you know? Yeah, and he kind of was for the time. And he started you know? to move the needle towards that pop direction, and I think now people are kind of leaning towards more the roots. Um, so it yeah. kind of goes back and forth sometimes. Yeah, Garth Garth did, uh, you know, when Garth came along, country music was like George Strait, Keith Whitley, Randy Travis, just kind of stand in front of the microphone with your guitar. And then Garth like brought this like rock show to country music. It was like, a, you know, it was still, his music was still country, but it was like mm. running all over the stadium, flying around, you know, the stadium, like, you know, and it just took it to another, another uh, level. Yeah. I, uh, it'd <laughs> be better, funny to see Garth course. fly around a stadium <laughs> with wings on his back. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't grow up in the States. Um, I actually grew up in the Middle East and Corey grew up in the Middle East too. He grew up, uh, we went to the same high school in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, but mu- like musically, like country was never uh, anything people would listen to growing up. Uh, now my, my family, we listen to a lot more country. It's because my sister, my sister just loves country music. She just, that's what she plays. And like, I think, you know, the past 10 years in particular, whenever we're in a car, she'll play some country music. And my dad, who's not from the States, he's from Syria. Now he listens to country music. And it's just really funny because like, if you know <laughs> cool. my dad, you're like, you're not country at all. But <laughs> he came, uh, he came to Nashville and, uh, we bought some boots, That's amazing. Bought some boots for him. And he, he was thinking about getting a cowboy hat and like do, <laughs> being like, that's his personality now that he's country. But, uh, I think it's, I went back for Christmas and, uh. I played some of Blaine's songs for him and nice. he loved them. Oh, nice. Yeah. He, cool. uh, he doesn't know titles well in anything. Like the, my big fat Greek wedding to him is like fat wedding. If we want to like put, put <laughs> yeah. the fat wedding movie on. <laughs> um, so like your last Mexico song was just called either Mexico or yeah, adios. Like, <laughs> and he would just, uh, be like, put the, put the Mexico song. Yeah, that's on. that's like, awesome. So but, growing up then in the UAE, like what, what would you find like as common on the radio? Is it, is it Western influenced? Is it? Oh, for sure. For sure. It's a very inter like Dubai in particular is a very international place. Even when I was growing up there is very Westernized, but, uh, oddly enough, the genre growing up there was like EDM. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, Armin Van Buren and like, it was real, like European. Yeah. Very say. European. Uh, like, uh, what was Avicii? Yeah, a yeah, a lot of that's. I remember they they would play day and night on the radio. You know oh, like song? the remix. But yeah, but it was the remix. They oh, never the played the remix. Yeah. Oh, really? And I was yeah. like, oh, they played the original. That's funny. It's the only one I heard over there. Yeah, they would do, and it was a lot of. Um, so if you're in like a nice sit down restaurant, they're playing like EDM, right? No, 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 like no, 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 no. Oh, okay. They're not. I don't think any nice sit down restaurant in the world is playing like hardcore that's EDM. Very true. Very true. Right, because that would yeah. just make the. I, I guess mean, it, I think it would make the experience. I guess I more meant just worse, like right? if yeah, 
No, totally. It would definitely make the experience worse. Yeah. But. Well, clubbing was very big there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like going to like nightclubs is very big there. Whereas like here it's a lot, a lot of bars. Um, but yeah, country music, I feel like, and it's so hard to figure out if you feel a way because you're living it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you buy a car and you're like, oh, I see that car everywhere now. It's like I live in Nashville and I see and hear country music. I love country music. I go back home. I play country music for people. I don't know if it's starting to grow or if it's just I'm biased because I like country music. You know what I mean? But it does feel like with Morgan Wallen and and country in in general, like it's starting to go a lot more global. Yeah. 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 I I mean, I could speak that a little bit. Like I moved to Nashville and I didn't listen to like any country music. Um, you know, I, I've always been friends with Blaine since college, but, and he was always into it, but I wasn't a big fan. And then I moved here and I kind of understood the songwriting a little bit better. And, um, any story that you can latch onto that sounds relevant to you, I think is what most people latch onto. And I think there's a lot of truth in country songs. And I mean, obviously there's those songs that I absolutely hate that I'm like, this is the most lazy written song I've ever heard in my life. But you know, some of the songs like Cody Johnson's new single is just uh, dirt cheap. such a freaking good song. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a single? Oh, or it, it's on the record. Is it? Yeah. It's on, it's on the album. I don't know if he's if it's officially a single yet or not. I think he's still pushing the, uh, the painter. That's oh, okay. That's a great song. Current too. Radio song, but yeah, no, that's, it's dirt cheap. If you, I don't know if you guys have heard it or My not. My sister sent me dirt cheap. Yeah. It's uh it is one of the best, uh, written country songs that I've heard. In, I've heard in a while. Um, <laughs> It's uh, yeah. It's just it was written by one one writer, uh, Josh Phillips. He writes for Warner Chapel Publishing Company here in town. And uh, yeah, he told the he told the story about it. Um, and I'll I'll just tell this briefly. But he I I read the, his Instagram post when Cody released the album. But he uh, he basically um, him and his wife had bought a house here in Nashville somewhere. And I think maybe 2018 and it was like, like a fixer upper farmhouse kind of thing. And the idea was to buy the place and then like renovate it, kind of flip it and then sell it and make some money on it. And, and then in 2022, four years after it, uh, buying it, they were kind of at that point and he was sitting around, like, I think he was like sitting out back by a campfire behind his house and he was contemplating like whether or not now is the right time to put this house in the market and try mm-hmm. to sell it and whatever. And he got thinking about it and he thought about how, you know, since they bought that house, like they had gotten married and they lived there, they had a couple of kids they had a dog, like their whole lives kind of happened like in that house. And he's like, he kind of had the epiphany and he's like, I can't sell this place, you know, because of like what this house has been, you know, this is our house. Like, you know, we've basically, you know, and so he just grabbed his guitar, went out in the barn and wrote dirt cheap. That's it's, it's a pretty, uh, pretty amazing song. One of those songs where like, is a songwriter you admire it because he he just you can't find a word that's not right in that song. Mm. Every every word is perfect and every chorus the lyrics are a little bit different so it's not like it's the same chorus every time it changes slightly so it's like furthering the story along. Just yeah, phenomenal song and then you can't really think of a better artist to record that song than Cody Johnson. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. I know and I think a lot of it too is Cody's delivery cuz 
you know, if someone wrote that song and they didn't have a great voice and they tried to pitch it and I mean, people would be like, oh, yeah, that's good. That's well-written song. But you hear someone like right. Cody do it. It's just like, yeah, I was about to, out. I was about to ask that. Like if, if you take some of these songs that are so well-written and if you just swap voices, mm-hmm. is the song as impactful? You know what I mean? I don't think so. I mean, if you look back on historically like famous songs, like some artists have passed on them. And then they become another artist number one, and who knows if maybe if they cut it, you know, could that have been yeah. a number one? But yeah, yeah, who like, knows? I think Kelly Clarkson's first big hit was supposed to go to Avril Lavigne. She said no. Oh, like because of you or something? But yeah, I think or whatever that her first number yeah, one that was. Her, that was her first big one. Wasn't or since you've been gone? Oh no, since, <laughs> since you've been, you've been gone, gone. That's right? what it was, right? Yeah. No, I think it was even before oh. that. Oh really? Yeah, you guys would know it. Uh, <laughs> But anyways, I heard a story about it was supposed to go to Avril Lavigne and she was like, no. And then Kelly Clarkson cut it and it was, she blew up. <laughs> Interesting. So as musicians, I, I am not a musician. I, I'm going to say this over and over on the podcast. Nobody wants to hear that. Um, I you're, like the yeah, idea you're of- the, You're the president, CEO, and founder of Tune Hatch. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about we're, that. We're going to get into that in a minute. Um, a I'm thinking more along the lines of like writing songs- do you ever get to a point where you're like, maybe this song isn't for me and you, you wrote it and then what's the process of like, how do you find someone else to pitch it to? Or how's that usually work? Um, I mean, I, every song I've written by myself, I've always wrote it through the lens of like, I need to put this out for me. But like, sometimes I've written songs where I'm like, yeah, this, this probably wouldn't, work well with like my sound and I've just never pitched anything. Maybe Blaine, you have, but yeah, I mean, I have, I don't know if I've really pitched anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes when you write, when you co-write, you know, it, the song ends up being something that, you know, someone in the room would want to cut. Yeah. Right. That I wouldn't necessarily cut, but maybe somebody else that we wrote it with would cut it. Or like sometimes I write with, with other writers that do have publishing deals. And so they turn in their songs, whatever they write to their, their pub company and then they get pitched that way. So I'm sure some of the songs I've written have been pitched around town, but it would, it would be weird to be like, okay, this person here in Nashville starting to get some traction. And I think I could write what that person is trying to write. Let me try and make a song that that person would like. And then, I mean, some people try to do that. I I mean, some people do that. I've never done that. Um, I've never done it. I've I've never tried. You you haven't done it because it's a, a, bad idea i don't know <laughs> I, I i'm not in, i'm not interested in it okay i'm not like i'm i don't i've never sat down to be like i'm gonna write the next sam hunt song today and send it to sam hunt like i just don't i don't i i just i try to write whatever idea that i have or whoever brings in the room like whatever idea try to just write that as best you can gotcha. and then find a home for the song after it's done just yeah. write the song as best as you can. And then it's like, oh, is this for me or is this for you or is this for somebody else? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way of doing it. I've been in writing sessions too where we're writing for something specific like that. Like I actually was in the room a few years ago. I think it was like 2017 or something like that where we had a prompt from a publishing company and they were like, there was an artist named like Ragbone Man or you get I you guys will know his song and it sounds ridiculous, but he was Corey like the number good. one song that year. Um Ragbone Man? I'm not kidding. It's something like that. Rag <laughs> let me see. Rag. It's literally called Rag and Bone Man. 
Yeah. Wow. Like the, the song called Human. It has almost a billion plays. Here. Wow. You know the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, so we got approached by the publishing company, and they were like, hey, this is the number one song right now. We, like, it's getting paid a lot to be on these commercials. We got approached by Jeep. They don't want to spend the money on it. They want a song mm. that's similar. So can you guys pitch us a song that's similar to that? And so we wrote a song, and I, I sang it. Uh, <laughs> it's like... I think it's called Higher or something like that. I could figure it. It's in my Dropbox. I'll have to send it to you guys. But like, we we weren't pitching it to anybody besides Jeep, but we were emulating that artist. Did they take it? Did Jeep take it? We never got a placement on it, no. I mean, I don't know if I got a placement, but I, no one ever told me. Huh. I think it's fun. My mom loves it, so shout out mom that well we're still looking for a theme song for our, our podcast so i'll play it for, it's pretty it's actually pretty like intense okay maybe yeah. that could be the theme song for yeah. the hatch house podcast i mean if we got yeah the instrumental is pretty fun too so well, well, no, what we got to do is well we'll uh we'll listen to your version give Corey the version have him do a remix of it and then we'll vote yeah on whether it's the remix version or the original version uh, yeah well yeah. you know the, the podcast blows up I have to pay two other writers that I know one of the other two. I don't remember the other one, but <laughs> to pay him for some royalties, probably. Yeah, Corey will will make it make it good. That wasn't my best sentence, but yeah, he'll make it good. <laughs> so, I, Nathan, tell us uh, tell us uh, tell us about Tune Hatch and what you're up to lately. We talked briefly before we started uh, rolling here. What what. Uh, what have you been doing the last few weeks or months or whatever? Yeah, since yeah. our last conversation. Man. Um, yeah, so Tune Hatch, we're, we're starting to work with more venues in town. Um, we're really targeting venues as like our first users on our, on our website. Um, we help them with booking, promoting, and ticketing their shows. And if you think about like a venue – uh, independent venue, they have so much work that they have to do and they don't have like a huge staff. So it's usually like one person that's like fixing the ice machine, that's booking the bands, that's figuring out the lights, that's putting the sound together, staff, everything. So what Tune Hatch does with these venues is we're kind of like a, a helping hand. If they have nights where they're struggling to book, we step in, we help them book. If they need help promoting their shows, we actually make it so that when you create a ticket link, on TuneHatch, it actually updates your Facebook, your Instagram, your website all at once. So it's saving venues like hours and hours of work each week. Oh. Um, so there's 15 venues in town that are using us. Um, and some of them are using us like, like the Bowery Vault is the one that just started in January. And uh, if if any of you, I know Will's played at the Bowery Vault. Yeah, it's great. Great venue. It's, a, it's about 50 cap. So... Smaller room. I think it's more of like a micro venue. I don't know um, many other places that are like kind of that size, but it's just a wonderful room and just the best owners. They care so much about the community. So I've been spending a lot of time with um, the owners of the Bowery Vault and just helping them, helping them with their their business and all of the work that goes into it, and helping them book musicians and. They started doing tickets. They used to do just free shows. And so now they're starting to sell tickets. And And I think when a venue starts doing hard tickets, you get a different type of artist that now kind of shows up and wants to play. So I'm helping them 
with that transition a little bit. Uh, and it's been, it's been really fun and cool. So, so explain to us how that works with the, with the tickets with two hatch. You can, you can, there's a couple ways, right? You can either pre-order them or you can show up at the door. How's that work? Yeah. So on our website, tunatch.com, uh, anyone can go on, they can buy tickets, um, for shows with, uh, any of our venues in town. You can also go, the more common way right now is just to go to, uh, a venue's website that's using us. So like, if you go to the five spot or if you go to the Bowery vault or the underdog mockingbird or Kimbrough, some of these places here in town, their website will take you straight to tune hatch and that's where people can go in and buy tickets. And when you are on our site, you can see the artists that are on the bill. You can listen to their music. You can kind of preview the show before you buy tickets. And, um, yeah, so you can buy them ahead of time or you can buy them at the door, um, through our QR codes. Uh, those are set up now at the Bowery vault and working really hard to get them up to speed. But, uh, yeah, you can check out their shows and their calendar and everything. It's really cool. That's awesome, man. Um, one thing I had a question about for the website, I noticed I was like looking at Zach Smith's website. He's amazing. He's so good. Um, and his, you know, artist profile already had like a video up there, a little profile and then links to like Spotify. Do you have an algorithm that sets that up when a new artist? So if a new artist signs up in tune hatch, does all that auto populate or do you have to go in there and put that in as an artist? Like you can, could I like edit my own profile? Yeah. So artists are, have their own profiles. They can change their links that are associated with the profile. Um, we don't create the profiles for artists. Artists get added to a bill. So like if you're playing at the Bowery vault, you get an email that said, you know, sign up on tune hatch, you get paid out through tune hatch, add your YouTube, your, uh, Spotify, all that stuff to your profile. We're looking to make things easier on artists in the future. So we're definitely looking at f- ways to make it faster to create a profile mm-hmm. and scraping the internet on like public facing data sets like Spotify. And just if Blaine Holcomb signed up, just put a Spotify in there. That's going to be happening sometime this year as well. That's awesome. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. And also another question I had for you too, not to put you on the spot, but no, it's cool. I didn't know that I was going to be the one interviewed. But this is great. <laughs> no, I just love learning more because I think you guys are growing so fast and it's like, it feels like I'm a part of the the journey. Oh, you hundred uh, percent are all the time. But for uh, everyone who's listening, um, <laughs> all five of you, um, Tunatch was originally not a website. Um, it was me texting Will, <laughs> "Hey, who do you know that can come play this pop up show?" And um, Will came through every time and brought brought people out. So before it was a website, it was just you. So appreciate that. <laughs> Dude, anytime. I love doing that stuff and especially for you. Um, but I'm curious if there's been any type of like local competition. Obviously there's like, you know, Ticketmaster, the big ones, Eventbrite, whatever it is. But have you found that there's anybody that reached out to you to like partner in a weird way where you're like, oh, you're kind of competing on what we're doing or has there any been? I actually don't. I don't say their name out loud. No, no, no. I don't see any of the players here as like competition. I think we're like very, very, very collaborative as a company. So like if there's a music group that is trying to put something on, like we want to work with them. We, we're not promoters. We're not, um, musicians. We're really working with venues to help them be more profitable. So like if there's a promoter in town, they can use tune hatch to, you know, put on shows in different places. 
there's an artist in town that wants to get booked, they can use Toonhatch. We're we're kind of more of a SaaS platform mm-hmm. and less about like, I don't know, any kind of competition. There's other ticketing platforms out there, but they don't help venues with booking or promoting. They just give them a ticket link. So right. uh, there's not really, obviously there's like Ticketmaster and TicketWeb, but those tend to be like Ticketmaster tends to be like your thousand cap venues. Right now we're helping places like the Bowery Vault. It's like 50, 50 people in that room. Uh, places like the Five Spot, 200 people in that room. So uh, I don't think Ticketmaster is thinking about independent venues and independent musicians and smaller rooms. And so there is a little bit less competition from the big guys because of that. Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious if like someone in Nashville was trying to like weasel their way into the same thing. No, no. Uh, it's good to hear. So I feel like you have a very genuine original idea. So, yeah, I mean, thanks for saying that. I think it is, you know, original idea. I think it's, uh, it's really exciting. Crystal Reese and I, we, we started it together and, um, just like a great team. And, uh, I think it's starting to click and I'm really excited about it. I think we're starting to help a lot of musicians get paid in a more transparent way. I, I think you were telling me earlier how like you got a check for 20 bucks and, Sometimes you guys get paid, you know, I don't want to say where you play on Broadway and stuff, but sometimes you don't get paid. So like giving a way for everyone to monitor ticket sales Mm -hmm. and then see transparently what the deal is ahead of time is like a huge value add for musicians. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think Broadway's gotten better over the years. Like the places I play now are all great. They pay they always pay great base pay and, you know, and it's been, been really good. But when I first moved to town, like eight or nine years ago, yeah, it was a little different. Some of the places, and I won't say any names, but you know. Do you think it, it's better now because you know places to steer clear of? Or um, do you think it's- Maybe, but there's probably overall, I think most places are pretty, pretty good about it at this point. Probably paying. I think some places still pay more or less than others. You know, like there's probably still some places that the base pays- not probably as high as it could be or should be if you think about how much money those bars make you know um, yeah but but the places i play i'm 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 really happy with you know they're run by great people and they take good care of us musicians and they pay us well and they treat us well and it's it's been good it's been great yeah nashville is just a great city to be a musician in. there's like yeah. you go to broadway and i don't know any other bars in the world where you got three stories of a band on each, each floor. Right. And yeah. it's like a whole street of it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like even when we moved here, we were part of a, I don't know, like where I live now is totally different than what it was. And everyone always says that it's a cliche thing to say, but I mean, Broadway is not what it was nine years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and it's gotten better in a lot of ways, it's gotten worse in a lot of ways too. Yeah. I mean, with the with the growth, there's always positives, but also... I mean, the money's definitely better. Like, I, I'm making more money now than I did when I first moved here, for and, sure. And how many how many times a week do you play on Broadway? Usually four or five gigs a week. Um, right now, it's slow season, wintertime. I'm playing four gigs a week. Um, Damn, yeah. and how, how long are those sets? Uh, usually between three and four hours each shift. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's, you know, it's it's good. And, and uh, you know, this time of year is a little slower. Usually, uh, crowds are a little smaller. Tips are not as good as like busy season, summertime, you know, uh, the fall is a really good time of the year, like college football, NFL, like, 
um, seems to be pretty busy, but, but, uh, you know, these, these next couple months will be pretty slow. Usually like December, January, February, pretty slow. Usually every, it seems like every year, once we get into like mid March, right around St. Patrick's day weekend, that's like the first. Yeah. St. Weekend. Patrick's day weekend that, blows that, up. That's yeah. the one where it's like St. Patrick's day weekend is like. Broadway's back. back. It's what busy. What is St. Patrick's Day? It's like uh, March 17th March? or something like okay. that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's like, and they usually, every year, it seems like almost every year on that weekend is usually the SEC basketball tournament that they have at Bridgestone. Ah, so it's okay. like big college basketball tournament. Um, and then St. Patrick's Day. And it's like, okay, Broadway's back. Bars <laughs> are busy again. Yeah. Uh, I had a buddy ask me the other day about like funny requests or like stories that I've experienced. And I have I have like a funny request, but I want to hear like over the years, what is maybe your top like ridiculous request that like really stood out or could be like a good experience or a bad experience? But like, do you have anything that you could? Uh, well, that's like really funny or maybe yeah, even like I, uh, back when ridiculous? I was playing at Tootsie's, um, there was a there was a there was a rugby team there from England, I think, or maybe <laughs> Australia, one or the other. Um, Classic. I think they were from England and there was like this big rugby, they on, they rugby on holiday as they say yeah and uh, and they got pretty rowdy pretty drunk and they they were like shouting out like trying to get us to play Britney Spears and as a joke I was like yeah 100 bucks and I'll sing Britney Spears and then they came up with $125 and I had to sing Britney Spears. <laughs> and so the only Britney Spears song that I could even like half-ass fake my way through is the Oops, I Did It Again song. <laughs> so that's the one I sang. Did the band know it? Yeah, we made it up. We faked our way through. <laughs> you could just do it. Yeah. The band just played it and I just sang it. How know. do you... Oh, okay. So then you pull up the lyrics on yeah, your phone? Yeah, look up the lyrics on your phone probably and then just like the band figures out the chords and you just... That's incredible. Yeah. Like as a non-musician, that is like crazy. Like we always say, if you want to hear it bad enough, we'll play it bad enough. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if you're gonna pay, if you're gonna pay 125 bucks to hear a song, we'll we'll play it. What do you think your most requested song of 2023 was? Ah, uh, well, it's usually a lot of the same songs, even over the years. Year like year, like yeah. like like Friends in Low Places is a, uh, yeah, yeah, a yeah. wagon wheel. Um, um, but I mean, I don't know. I guess like Morgan Wallen gets requested a lot right now. And um, do they pick a song or do they just say play play some more? It depends. Wallen. Sometimes they pick a song. Like Whiskey Glasses is a big one. Uh, Last night was requested a lot. Um, but yeah, sometimes they just say Morgan Wallen. But obviously, he's the you know biggest artist right now. So yeah, um, yeah, a lot a lot of Morgan Wallen requests, and then. Like some of the, some of like the standards that are like always requested, like said, are like friends in low places. Um, so you know, those kind of songs. I mean, how long you been, I know, will you also do this as well on Broadway? I just, when I think about Broadway, I think about Blaine. He just plays. So he's the mayor so, of Broadway. Mayor of Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. So that's you've been doing this for how long did you say? Well, next month, February 5th, will be my nine-year anniversary of moving to Nashville. So I moved here February 5th of 2015, and the first week I was in town, I, I auditioned at Tootsie's and got hired. In, uh, wow. Um, that was the first place I started playing. Then I played several places over the years up and down Broadway. But um, yeah, I've been doing it full-time since 2015. So nine years. Nine years. Pretty so much, yeah. what's next? Another, That's another a great nine? question, man. That's a real good question. 
Yeah, maybe I'll be 80 years old still playing on Broadway. Are there still, are there people that, you know, regulars that still play that are? I mean, yeah, I mean, well, there's, yeah, there's some, I guess, or there's, there's a lot of like, so like, I guess like some of the older people that play down there um, have kind of like been there, done that, you know, done the whole thing, toured, played for national acts, you know, played all over the world, all over the country. And now they're just kind of content, just, you know, like they don't want to really live on a tour bus anymore. They don't want to be on the road. They'd rather just be able to sleep in their own bed at night, come down to Broadway, play some music still, make a little extra money. And and so you have some of those guys, you know, that are that are uh, that are still playing downtown. And then there's there's a lot of like the younger people that are kind of like the up and coming trying to trying to make it. And there's definitely a lot of people, I think, that are content just doing that that are just like, this is a good way to make a living. It is like, you know, like there's, you can make good money playing down there. And there's some people that are probably just content, like, yeah, I'm just going to play on Broadway for as long as I can. And it pays the bills and I'm, I enjoy it and I'm playing music for a living and it's great. You know? Yeah. I've mm-hmm. always kind of seen it as a stepping stone. Um, but so I don't really want to do it for forever, but, um, but not yeah. to put you on the spot, but what do you think? Like, what do you think 2024, 2025 look like? Man, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm about to release my kind of third consecutive EP. Um, <clears throat> I've got the EP comes out in a couple of weeks on um, January 26th, but it's like, I don't know. It's kind of frustrating. It's like, nothing's really happening. You know, it's like my streams have gotten better over the years, like you know, kind of consistently releasing music and singles and EPs. Um, but nothing big has happened. You know, nothing's really like caught on. Nothing's like gone viral. Nothing's. So I don't know. I don't really know what to do. And it seems like until you can get something to pop off, nothing really changes. So it's like, I don't know. Um, I remember one time Corey made a song and cause Corey makes music and, uh, I listened to it and I was like, Oh my God, this is the best song I ever heard. This is going to blow up. Let's put it on SoundCloud. This is a while ago. And nothing, nothing really happened. Actually, 20,000 20, streams on it. It was like a, nice. kind of like a remix. It was, it was a great, great song. Um, do you, uh, are you talking about the first remix? That yeah, we, that's on SoundCloud. Yeah, who did we remix? It was like a Banks song. It was yeah, like, Banks. Yeah, but um, I, the reason why I bring that up is like, I remember the feeling of hearing that song and being like, this, this is something that people are gonna really love. When it gets out there, people are gonna go crazy. Yeah. Do you have that about certain songs? Like, or do yeah. you have that about like a certain song coming up where you're like, this song I think is is gonna hit? Or are you I know it's a very long-winded question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But are or are you thinking more of the along the lines now of like, you know, I felt that way in the past and I don't think that way now because I don't know what's gonna how, how it's going to work. Yeah. A little, a little bit of that, I guess. I mean, like I've definitely had songs that I felt like, and I still do feel like there's songs that, you know, I mean, I took a while after moving here before I put any music out. Like I, I took my time. I like, I worked on my songwriting. I just kind of like figured some things out and tried to learn as much as I could. I didn't like jump right into like releasing music right away. And I feel like over the years I've kind of gotten better as a songwriter and, and, and kind of, I was able to kind of look at my own songs objectively. One of the best pieces of advice I got when I moved to town was from a veteran, amazing songwriter named Carrie Kurt Phillips wrote a bunch of big hits in the nineties, early two thousands. And he said that if you're not able to look at your own songs 
objectively and realize that they're not good if they're not good then you're never gonna be able to have what it takes to become a great songwriter because like he's like when everybody when we all move to town everybody's kind of the same right we moved to nashville we got a handful of songs we've written we think they're good and you know some people's songs might actually be good but for the majority of us they're not you know but when you come to nashville and you compare your work to like guys that have been doing it for 20 30 years if you can't see the difference if you can't look at your songs objectively and realize like, oh man, like I got a lot, I got a long way to go before I can write a song like that guy, you know, then, you know, you got to be able to realize that and realize that your songs aren't up to par yet. And I think I figured that out pretty early. So I took a long, this is also a long winded response, but I took a long time before I even put any music out. And I say all that to say that now I feel like the last three years I've put three solid EPs out. And I think that, the songs are pretty solid. I think they're pretty well written. There's definitely a few of them that I think could be radio hits. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously I'm a little biased, I guess, because I wrote them and, and recorded them. But um, nothing's really popped off. I don't know why. I mean, obviously I'm not very savvy with social media. I try the TikTok stuff. I try the Instagram stuff. Nothing really pops off for me. But um, I do feel like if I can figure out or if I get lucky and have – a song that does get some traction. I do have like a pretty solid body of work that's already sure, out that like, sure. if I can get one song to kind of pop off, then hopefully people will go and find all the rest of my music that I put out over the last three years. Cause I do think there's some solid songs on there. If you, if you like country music, if you like, you know, it's, it's newer sounding production, but it has that kind of traditional slash nineties country vibe to it. Like if that's your thing, I think I've got quite a few songs that are, you know, from a, a production standpoint, from a lyrical songwriting standpoint, I think are pretty solid. And uh, nothing's really popped off yet, but maybe something well, will at some point. That's a, well, sorry, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I mean, that's how it worked with, you know, my dad becoming a fan. He listened to <laughs> right. the Mexico song, which is what he calls it, or Adios. Yeah. And then uh, She Drinks, I Drive. I Drink, She Drives, yeah. Um, You know, Beer Tastes Better. I think you got you got a lot of songs nice. that are, are are solid and it's hard to know which one is gonna kind of yeah. pop off yeah you know i i yeah i've I've definitely felt like a few of them could have and they didn't and they will do like, just wait well, yeah, he's gonna just rocket ship that's the thing is if you have that solid base and it sounds like you know you're comfortable in that that base that you have you know especially with the social media the tiktok stuff the minute one does people are gonna look back at your old stuff and you never know when one of those songs might blow up like right Grace Potter just posted a video about how a song's trending on TikTok right now, and she put it out ten years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. And there's a band out of Which Australia. One of her songs is that? <clears throat> I think she wrote it for uh, a movie called Tangled. Mm. It's a Disney movie. Oh, okay. Um, but it came out ten years ago, and she posted this whole Instagram p- or TikTok mm-hmm. post about it mm-hmm. of like never thought in like my wildest years that yeah. a song I wrote ten years ago is yeah, now viral. Know. And this band from Australia. Um, they have a song that's like that was charting like number one, not even a couple months ago, and it came out in 2018. You know, and it wow. because it was all because of TikTok. Yeah, yeah. And you know, someone found something, chopped it up a little bit, maybe remixed it, whatever it was. But the original song is still there, and people go to find that. And mm-hmm. so having that solid base is like important. Yeah, um, but but more more often than not, obviously there are like those cases. I feel like when I discover n- new music, I, I listen to the one song that is the most recent one that came out and I was like, oh, I really like this one. And then I look back on their body of work and it's usually just like 
not quite as good as like that most recent one. Mm -hmm. But then every song that comes out after that is like, that's their kind of new standard. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I feel like Mm -hmm. that's pretty, pretty common. I I feel like there's a lot of uh, musicians where like they get their break with a song or an EP or something, then their quality goes up with that, you know? So Mm -hmm. I feel like waiting to like, create the perfect song is just never going to happen. You yeah, always you gotta, are going to make something some better. Out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you should, and like, you should get better with it. Every time you go in the studio to record your next project, you should try to do something better than what you just did, you know, or do something a little different. What um, did you do different? I mean, I, I feel like I have kind of progressed in that way. I think one of the biggest things like uh, the last three years, we've pretty much done the same thing in the sense of like using the same session players uh, so like same bands playing on it all, same studio, same engineers, same producer. Um, but one of the big things that with this most recent project that we really, my producer Jay Brunswick and I really focused on was like my vocal like performance, my delivery, like in the studio. Um, you know, I mean, he's told me this and other people told me this, like, he's like, you can sing really well. Like you can all, you always sing on pitch, you hit all the notes, but you know, singing in the studio versus singing live are kind of two different things. Mm-hmm. And I've sang live for forever. And um, I think just kind of finding your your own voice and like making sure that you deliver that lyric in the studio where it's believable and authentic rather than just like singing the notes and singing it perfectly. But like maybe it's not really believable or doesn't have the right conviction or emotion behind it that was one thing that we really focused on this time around interesting that you bring that up because i feel like i noticed that with mexico oh really yeah i feel like you kind of slowed down your delivery a little bit and now i'm wondering if that's like intentional where you kind of like well it was definitely uh, something we focused on like i'll tell you that i was in so with all four of these songs i just cut for this project i was in the vocal booth for probably an hour and a half for each song Okay. And it was just like sing through the song a couple times, start to finish to get warmed up and then just kind of take it verse by verse, chorus by chorus. And then, you know, the engineers running the, the computer and my producer Jay's sitting there and it was like, I'd sing the same line over and over until he felt like I captured the right emotion and the right character. You know. Oh, oh yeah. I've like, had friends, was, you know, I've had friends like sing the same four words for like an hour. Yeah, and it's like it's it's there's different methods to to how how you record, yeah. you know, like there's different ways to do it. There's, you know, there's not really necessarily right or wrong way, but I think that a really good producer will definitely, you know, work you pretty hard to get to get it right. You and know? they'll probably slow down the session at times to get those details yeah. right, right? Yeah, well, that's all we were doing that day is cutting my vocals. Like we tracked the band on a separate day. That was just, I would go in the vocal booth and sing a scratch scratch track, scratch vocal, which was just singing along while the band played, but we weren't keeping any of that. And like we'd we'd get, we'd get the band done and then we'd go back to the studio a couple days later and I would sing vocals and it was, that's all we were doing. It was just, we did, we did two songs. We did two, three hour vocal, vocal sessions. We did two songs one night, two songs another night. And it was like 90 minutes with each song just until, you know, until you basically get so much, you know, you finally get it right and then you comp it together and you, you know, you get a a good take. But you already put hours and hours and hours into writing it and and already knowing it and singing it and then you go in there and you you 
do it over and over and over again. Yeah. I'm telling you, like, I'm not pulling your leg. I'm not joking. You can look up the streams in the UAE. They're going to be from one, one <laughs> maybe, maybe my dad told my mom, like, at this point, two people, right? Two maybe people. two people. That's pretty cool, though. But the, yeah. I don't know, unless unless you have numbers in the Middle East. I don't know how much you're marketing towards the Middle I don't know. East we market. have to go on my Spotify for artists. Oh, he doesn't see, do Spotify, see. bro. He does uh he does Apple music. Oh well, we can go uh, on Apple and look okay. at my look at my analytics and see. Yeah. That's Let me cool know if part. it's dropping off. I need to text him to get yeah. to get back on the English music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a cool part about uploading music nowadays too, is that I don't think a lot of people realize like, oh I don't have Spotify. Well, if you use a you know a company that puts out your music, it usually pay for it to go on every single platform. Yeah, right. Like I think, Tune Tune not Tune <laughs> TuneCore TuneCore Tune TuneCore yeah. and um, I use DistroKid, mm -hmm. but you pay for like a flat fee and it sends it to like over two hundred plus. You know. Yeah, I, I've services. been using uh, Symphonic the last few years, and it's the same kind of thing. Like actually, I don't uh, I don't pay them. I'm I'm on a like a like they have like a tier two level where like hell yeah they, they have like the base level where like tune core where you just pay what the flat fee annually to keep your music up there uh with symphonic uh, they take a percentage of my royalty oh uh, so they'll just take a cut at the end of the year yeah, they take they take a percentage of it and they like is it monthly or is it yeah it's monthly and they they pitch they pitch my music like so they're they're like they're supposed to pitch it to to uh you know all the editorial playlists and stuff like that so their skin is in the game a little bit more yeah. where it's like they're trying yeah. to get right get exposure to yeah. your music and stuff. But yeah. But yeah, no like to, like Will said like they they distribute our music to every single DSP in the world. You know, like you know, that's you can find my music and Will's music anywhere. You can find this podcast probably anywhere in the world. Whatever platform you use, you can find the Hatch House podcast. Yeah, that's no, true. I think it's crazy yeah. how many streaming platforms there actually are. I know. Like, yeah. you know, anyone who actually uses like Tidal or Deezer? Or yeah, I was going to say Deezer. Like, Deezer. that's well, the one that I always make fun of a yeah, little well, bit. There's, there's like, some that, I've, like, I've heard of Tidal and Deezer, but there's some I've never even heard of. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's, I, can't, I just can't there's, the Yeah, there's over, I think TuneCore has like, I was on DistroKid yesterday, and DistroKid was like, you're not on 20 streaming platforms. Do you want to upgrade? <laughs> yeah. And I think I started at like 290 something plus. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm good. Like, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess to kind of wrap up, um, what we were just talking about there, cause I want to, I want to talk to Will about what he's doing with music too. But, um, for me, it's like, I'm going to be, <clears throat> I'm going to be, uh, you know, hitting my nine year anniversary in Nashville next month. Um, I don't really know what to do next. I know what I want to do. Um, it's been a little frustrating, like feeling like I've been putting out music for the last few years and nothing's really popped off and nothing's really happened. Um, like in a, in a, in a big way. Um, everybody, pretty much anybody you talk to in town will tell you that don't record a full length album until you have a base, like a big fan base and following, like don't do your debut album. Like just do the, the singles, do the EPs, like just keep putting a single out every month, whatever until you get like a base. Right. And I get it. I get that logic and I think it makes sense. Um, but I'm kind of over it at this point. I kind of like, I, I, I feel like I've done that for the last three years and it hasn't really amounted to much. And I don't want to get caught into this game of, uh, just trying to like put music out that you think might go viral. You know, like everybody's doing that now. It's everybody's like, how do I go viral? How do I go viral? TikTok, 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 you know? And it's like, 
I don't want to, I don't want to like water down my music to mm-hmm. try to, to try to get like a poppy catchy song that might go viral. You know, like I, I feel like I could start to feel myself sliding into that, like that I could, you can easily go down that path and Hey, whatever. Some people like that. Some people want to chase that. That's fine. I don't really think I want to do that. I don't think that's really the point. Like, I think that if you ask people, if you ask most like music buffs or anybody, like what, what when was like the best music? Most people tell you the sixties and the seventies, you know? And it's like, well, why? It's like, well, the Beatles, the Eagles, like these bands, like they were just making like good art. They were great songwriting, great music, great. Like they weren't trying to like chase some trend or follow some formula or put something on social media that might go viral. Like I'm not going to sit in a writing. I I don't want to sit in a writing room and sit there and say, what can we write today? How can we write something that will go viral on TikTok? Fuck that. Yeah. I don't want to do they that. They weren't doing that. Yeah. You know, like that, like I want to, I want to write, I'm getting the itch to write a full length album. Like I want to write like a, a 12 song album where every song is just a freaking really good song, really well written. Um, and maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll cut a few outside songs too. Like maybe, you know, I, I want to write most of it, but like maybe I'll, you know, cut two or three or four songs that were other, other writers wrote. But like, I want to put together a really solid project, something I can hang my hat on and say, all right, this is what I moved to town to do. But, but and, also something that's authentic to yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know what? And like, I don't think you really are going to have success probably on a bigger level until you really just find a way to be yourself and be authentic and be like, don't try to be Morgan Wallen. There's already a Morgan Wallen. Don't try to be Luke Luke Bryan or Luke Combs. There's, those guys already exist. They're already doing their thing. They're crushing it. We don't need another one of those guys. Be yourself. Do your thing. I think you know? I think that's such a, a simple concept, but I think it's so hard. And it doesn't matter what you're doing in life to True. figure out figure out a way to to do anything and just do it as yourself is like really tricky. Yeah. Like whether you're an engineer or a musician, like putting yourself in situations where you can be your authentic self is really hard. Yeah. And I think the, the best musicians out there, it's like fans feel like they know them because what they're putting out is actually stories of who they are and it's their brand and it's authentic to them. So yeah, I want to, I would love to, I think that's what I'm going to do. I mean, I, 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 uh, you know, I'm going to take a little break now after I put the CP out in a couple of weeks and just kind of get back to writing and, figuring it out but but uh yeah, you know, I don't I don't really know what else to do it's like you know I mean I get the, I like I said I understand the logic behind you know, like the way that the, the the music business is today the way that people are consuming music as consumers um that's just will breaking everything in the in the house um but uh I I get the logic I understand like you know just put singles out till you get that base you get that following yeah. and then save that for your big like you know, once you've got half a million followers or, you know, a million followers or half a million fans, whatever, then you do your big official like debut album full length. I get the idea of it, but, you know, I don't know. I've done the, I've done the singles and the EP thing for a while and nothing's really popped off. And I just kind of feel like I'm, I'm coming up on 10 years in Nashville or right? I'll be nine years next month and I'm going to take my time with this project. And like, I want to do like, I'll probably do some vinyl when I'm done. Like if it's 12 song, I'll probably make some vinyl and like, I want to, I want to like put out a solid country album, start to finish from track one to 12 or however many songs are on there and just, you know, and it'll be what it'll be. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the the best way of doing it. Just if you need a, um, disco party song, 
have Corey cut one of them. Yes. Yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, no, I, um, you know, I see a lot of musicians just doing what I do. Um, and you can always tell which ones it's just genuine to like, whether they're performing, you can tell if it's genuine as they're performing, or at least you can sense it. Maybe, you know, it's mismatched a little bit, but, um, it's always nice when you see someone kind of in their element. So I, I would, I would love to hear songs that you're putting out that are like a hundred percent you, not like 90% or 70% yeah. because the algorithm says 70% right. you is correct. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. So, and I don't, I don't feel like I've really like compromised my music and what I've done recently. I think if there's any song that I've put out recently that I like, we kind of specifically tried to do that viral thing was boot chopping. You know, it's like, <laughs> that was the one where like, that day in the writing room. And I'm not saying it's bad. Like it's, it's, it's fine for what it is, but like that was the one where it was like, okay, like how do we make this something that could potentially pop off, you know? Um, and it didn't. And it's just like, all right, I don't, I don't really feel like doing that anymore. You know, I'd rather just write what I want to write and, and, you know, not like, I'm not saying boot shop is a bad song. You know, it's, it's fine for what it is, but I don't want to like, I don't want to sit down to write songs but uh, specifically to try to make them go viral. You know? Do do musicians, this is a question for, for both y'all. Do you guys, because at some point your writing ends up being a loop where like you're kind of writing the same themes. And for some artists like Taylor Swift can write a, an albums about heartbreak over and over, although her perspective changes over the years, right? Yeah. Do you ever search out different experiences in life specifically to help you write music. Hmm. You're like, are you ever like, Hey, I'm a upstate New York guy. I'm writing country <laughs> music in Nashville. I bet if I go to Thailand, you know, for, for yeah. a year, it changed my, perspective. it changed my perspective. And now yeah. I'm going to do this like country yeah. album with like this whole new outlook on, you know, obviously yeah. that's it. I've never done. I don't think example. I've ever done. I don't know if I've ever done anything like that specifically, but um, I mean, it's a, yeah. I mean, I, I know what you're, I know what you're saying. No, I mean, I, I write from personal experiences all the time. That's what I do. But I think it's a good reminder, like you bring it up and questioning that. It's it's a good reminder maybe to do that, you know. Um, look outside yourself. Look outside of like, you know, maybe maybe hone on on some personal experiences that other people could relate to that aren't just around relationships or kind of a cliche song. Um, I've written songs about, you know, missing home and missing parts of my old life, you know, before I moved here. Mm. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I haven't really ventured off into writing in a way where it's a whole new perspective. I, I would yeah, say. Yeah. I think it kind of happens naturally, probably more so than people seeking it out. I think, uh, Drake just put out an album and he had like a line in there. It was like, why don't you make songs like you used to. I can't remember the exact line, make songs like you used to. And he's like, I can't like my perspective's not like that anymore. Like this is, this is, this is I, what my, perspective yeah, this is, is what yeah. my perspective is now. So I think, yeah. uh, I think a lot of times as your experiences evolve, your music evolves. But okay. if, if you're, yeah. I mean, if you're writing the same song that you were writing when you were 16, something's a little, yeah. you know, off. Yeah. <laughs> if you're like, I think Unless it's working. 
Like, just keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix yeah, it. Yeah. That's for true. sure. That's keep true. going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Like, if Billie Eilish is doing the exact same thing now, yeah. you know, like in, in 10 years. Well, she's like, she, what, 19? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's, she's so yeah. young. No, she's probably 22 at this point. Yeah. But either way, like the Ocean Eyes or whatever song came out when she was like 16, like that song. Wow. She was, yeah. That was that was a good song. Yeah, yeah. She's got some, yeah, some hits for sure. Yeah. Well, I've I've been kind of nudging Will, asking him when he's gonna get back in the studio and and uh, start cranking out some more music. So why don't you give us you got any uh, insight on that, Will? Any, you've been thinking about it, or yeah, I mean I've been thinking about it for the last year. Um, this last year I took a job as a nine to five. And it stifled a lot of my kind of creative drive in a lot of ways. Um, only because I, I'm not trying to make any excuses of like, I couldn't just, I've got time to sit down with my guitar and, and write, but like, you know, for me, I just haven't really felt the drive to do it personally, just because I'm at a, a better place financially. And, it's weird to say this, but like I always get my most inspiration when I like go through a breakup and and people talk about that and it's like, you just have so much stuff to talk about. Um, but like right now I got a few songs on a TV show and a movie and the company that, you know, hooked us up with that, me and this producer, Gabe Rabin, they want us to get back together and they want us to do like a full blown pop country record, which I've never written a pop country record. I've written like, semi-pop songs i'll tell you how to do it, it goes like this last night we <laughs> left the liquor talk hey that's a great song <laughs> yeah it is a fun song for sure uh very catchy obviously it's number one in the world but for me i'm focused on that right now we're gonna finish that up probably in the next couple months and it's gonna be a fun exercise for me to write in a different genre and just different approach um but I have a ton of songs that, you know, my friends have told me they love and I just never have released and I've played them down on Broadway. I've played them in different venues and people don't even know where to find them or where to listen to them. So I think my next step, what I really want to do is strip it all back and kind of go with like an acoustic Americana vibe, the same vibe that I came at, at it with when I first moved here. Um, and the main driver for that as well is that I think – I'm not this amazing guitar player. I can pen a song every once in a while. I'm not like this amazing songwriter, but my voice definitely carries really well. And I think people feel something from, from, you know, my voice. And I think that's my main instrument. And I want to highlight that in the best way that I can. And I think the best way to do that is to, to do it through, you know, more stripped back, more acoustic, um, the way I learned how to write songs. So, yeah, well, that's my you're, next you're a great approach. songwriter, though, too. Like, you've got, and that's the thing, like you said, you haven't been writing a lot maybe lately, um, but you have a bunch of songs that you haven't recorded that are yeah. really good. Like, you could easily pick six or eight or ten of them and, Dude, and put a I solid mean, project together. I have two yeah, things thanks. to say to all of this. One is, I've been to your, your show at the East Room and at the Bowery Vault, and I'm always surprised how I know the lyrics to all your songs. <laughs> But you always yeah. come to my shows. So. Yeah, that's probably a big part of it too. <laughs> There's one um, song that has to go on the record, and that's the uh, "Maybe I'm Just a Man." Yeah, man, that's that's a, an old song. And good. every time I ask him to play it, he's like, "I don't remember it." 
I know. He's I just have, have so many tunes. Refigure it out. I know. I, like I need song. to sit down and listen to it again. I think it could use some reworking. I wrote that when I first moved to Nashville. I was living in Hermitage, and um, I didn't know anybody besides Blaine and Pavel. Um, Those are two that you don't need to know anyone else. <laughs> two great people. And, and then Mike Godwin yeah, showed Mike Godwin, up like yeah. a couple months later. But other than that, I didn't know anybody. And um, that was a weird time in my life. I think it was. It was really cool and exciting, but it also made me branch out more than I ever had. Because I think when we both went to college, when you do go to college, your, your network is basically set up there for you. If you want it, it's there. Like it's still semi high school. People have popularity contests. You know, like you have to like try and find your people. But when I I went to high school with, I think I graduated with forty kids. And 17 of them were foreign exchange students that I'll never see again. And they were just there for one year. So it was like, I graduated with like 23 people and I didn't know what it meant to network. My town was small. And when I went to college, I got exposed to networking and what that looked like and branching out and trying to like figure out who you are. And then once I got to Nashville immediately after graduation, I was like, Oh shit, like this is the real world. Um, and that took me a while to like really understand what it meant to be a songwriter, how to branch out in Nashville. And I, through those years of those first years here, I wrote so many songs and I still have written in the past five years as well, but just have like um, voice memos in like an old phone or yeah, my old phone probably has a ton of them. This phone does too. Uh, dumb ideas, but some of them are also not to put you on the spot either, but, um, I wouldn't say it's the last time we hung out because we've hung out. We hung, hang out all the time. But last time we drunkenly hung out, <laughs> which when we is usually every time. time we, we hang out anyways too. <laughs> yeah, Nathan like doesn't call me because he's like, if we hang out, we're getting drunk. And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> no, but it was, uh, maybe it was like over the summer. Um, but I just remember you were drunk and you told me that you were quitting music. I was thinking about it. Okay. Yeah, all right. I was thinking about it. All right. He's never going to quit music. He's never going to quit music. It's just like a conversation that's come up my head, in my brain it's a lot. It's something that we all say at some okay. point in Nashville. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 You get frustrated it, enough. And it just, felt yeah. a little bit more of a serious conversation <laughs> because you were taking this job. Yep. And you were thinking, I'm going to do something different. And so you, you said it. And, you know, it's a little bit different. Than, I remember the conversation. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm, I remember exactly how I felt in that conversation <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah. Oh, he felt yeah. like, oh no, he, trust me, he, I'm sure he felt, felt like, like he was quitting music. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, he probably and believed I, he was, but was, he never it will. It was a sad moment because I was like, dude, don't fucking quit. You can well, do that, this. It's, a, it's one of those things where. Do you remember where it was? <clears throat> no. I, how drunk were we? <laughs> was it here? No, 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 it wasn't here. Was it at the Stockel House? I haven't been there. You, yeah, you, you never went to the Stockel House? Yeah, you have. Pop's House? Oh, stop. oh, I thought this was a bar. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a bar. Might as well have been. Uh, no, I can't remember. But what were you saying? Well, Will's only lived in like 18 different houses in yeah, East Nashville. So many houses. No, I, I remember that feeling and I told probably several people that. And I think it was just coming from a place. He never of, told me that because he knows I would have told him, yeah, you're full of shit. It would have been a three-hour conversation with him, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I remember that conversation. I know why I felt that way. And it comes up with my brothers sometimes. And I, I feel like I just felt so much pressure over the last few years of kind of what Blaine was speaking to of like, and something needs to happen. Something needs to take off. And instead of trusting the process and being like, it's okay to maybe take a year of, you know, not releasing music. And 
uh, really redefining of like what I actually want to do. And that's what I'm doing right now. Um, but music is never going to go anywhere, whether that's me playing every weekend or, you know, I'll, I'll always have, I'll always have this urge to go perform and, and to sing. So I just don't think I've written my best songs yet. So <laughs> I, I got to get there. And I, and I know that I have songs that I can release, which I'm planning on doing. Um, I'm just focused on a few different things right now, which has been healthy for me mentally. So I, I'm excited for both of y'all and I want to um, make a request. I don't need to, this is a very selfish request, but I'd like to extend. If I'd love to be there at some point when you guys are in your element, making a song, not that I'm going to even tell you what to do just to cheerlead and just, just to be a good vibe for the, for the writing sure. process or the, or the studio recording, anything. Any I feel like the record, the recording process would be fun. Way to more watch. fun. Way more. The fun, writing yeah. process would be like watching paint dry. I'm fine with watching paint dry. I just want to, um, have this theory that if the energy that you bring sometimes can, can change, you know, yeah. the output. And I feel like I just, when I, when I get to see someone create something that they're really passionate about, I think that I can, um, not maybe change it just half a percent, which is like make it cheerly, like excited, like, oh, that was really yeah, good. Yeah. You know one, what I mean? One thing I will say to that though, and I totally agree is like, if you're in the room, it definitely changes everyone's vibes. Everyone has to be on board with somebody that's not playing Fuck, that seems, to be a, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. I mean, it doesn't, not all, not all cases. Like if you're just laying down a guitar part and you're watching the guitar player do his thing, like that doesn't matter. But when you're really trying to capture a moment, sometimes I've worked with producers in the past. They're like, if they don't need to be here, they're not going to be here kind, uh, of, kind of thing. Um, I don't know if you've experienced that as well. I think people just need to um, focus and they want to yeah, like, it hasn't happened. Like my, the vibe when I, when I record hasn't been like that. Um, so as, as I was going to say, you, you guys are more than welcome to come in whenever and I cut. When I say that, you can always come in too. I'm just saying sometimes it does <laughs> no, happen. Yeah, Will's like, fuck you. You're I'm not, not welcome. That That's not I what just, I'm trying to say at all. I want to learn more about that yeah. process. And I would love for you to be there. I'd love for you to be there. I'm just saying it does change. I will. Let me rephrase that. check with your producer. No, no. I just will say that sometimes people, for whatever reason, get weird about having anybody else outside come in. No, I get that. I don't. I don't yeah, personally. Yeah. It's so, not about me. It's more about who's running the room. Yeah. When when I when I cut when I cut songs, um, <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, we we use the we've been using the same session players, the same studio guys. Um, for yeah. Last, Nathan's definitely not allowed. Last yeah. few <laughs> years. Um, and uh, it's it's pretty laid back because here's the thing, like the session guys are so good. They're, they're pros. They're some of the best players in town. That's what they do full time is plan records every day, all day, every day. They're in the studio. That's their nine to five, basically, you know, so they're just like, they're so good. They're, they're basically an autopilot. They're like I, we bring, I bring beers. I show up every time I cut songs. I show up with a case of beer, like a cup. I'll show up with two 12 packs. Yeah, and like Blaine, you show up most places with beer. Right now. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe on Broadway too. Like, yeah, you just, I, don't, that's I don't bring also, beer to Broadway. Well, people bring I, I you beer. People buy me beer. Yeah. <laughs> Bush lattes, but also your your music is a, is, is um pretty upbeat though. So like you bringing that energy is a, a good thing. Uh, maybe if you're playing, uh, I don't know, a slower, sadder song, you might not want somebody in the room, right? Or is that incorrect? Um, 
from the recording perspective, that's what I was going to say. Like, no, like, it'd be great to have you guys there. Like, basically, this is how it goes down. It's performance. Too. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's, like, we're just tracking the, we're just tracking the the band, right? Like, actually, I, I would, I would, I guess I would rather have you guys there for like tracking the band. When I'm when I'm cutting the vocals, maybe it would be a little distracting because I'm like really trying to get in the zone. You don't want to sign up, but yeah, you're, you're, but but like, but as far as like the 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 band session, tracking the band, it'd be great to have you guys there because basically, here's what we do: like the last couple, actually, the last three EPs we've cut, we've cut at Omni over on Division, just down from uh, Red Door in Midtown. And I think, actually, sad to say this, but I think that's another studio that's going to, about to bite the dust. Get to, demolished to be a to condo. Nashville's condominium, music, music city condominium. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but yeah, um, we've recorded the last three EPs there. And basically, I bring beer. We usually do it on a Friday night. So it's like a 6 p.m. session on a Friday night. So the guys are like ready to just let loose. And uh, and I'll show up with some beer. We've got the three or four songs we're going to cut that night. It's a three-hour session. We usually can get four songs in a three-hour session. And got them charted out. Uh, actually, I send the songs to the band leader. He charts them out. And then show up to the studio. You pick whatever song you're going to do first. Um, hand out charts to every player we'll play like the work tape or the demo, whatever we have. Sometimes it's just literally an acoustic vocal on an iPhone recording that from the day I wrote the song, um, play that work tape. Or if we do have a little bit more of a polished demo, play that demo. Those guys will listen to it down one time, looking at the chart. They might like kind of banter back and forth to each other about like, you know, what, what they're going to do, what they're thinking, whatever. My producer, Jay, if he has any like things he wants to mention, he will, talk to them specifically about what what vibe what feel he's got ideas for this song the best part about working with these guys nobody in the room has an ego that's the best part about it they're all some of the most badass players in town um the the acoustic guitar player the band leader just won um acoustic guitar player of the year acm award the drummer has won drummer of the year acm award multiple times like steel player like these guys are some of the best players in town they play all over country radio hits um they're all over those songs and nobody has an ego. So it's like if, you know, my producer has a suggestion to one of the players and then they say, well, yeah, that's cool. But what about this? He's not going to be like, oh no, you know, you got to do it this way. He's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Let's try that and see, you know, or like vice versa or anything like that. Like, and so then basically we all go, everybody goes in, grabs their instrument. I go in the vocal booth just to sing a scratch track. We'll play down through the song like one time. And the first time through, like, we're recording, but we're just kind of like doing one pass mainly to make sure we got the tempo right, make sure it's in the right key, get the feel for it and everything. And as we play it down through all the other players, like they're playing their part, but they're listening to each other, like what they're all playing. And then after that first take, you hear all that banter of like the guitar player says to the keyboard player, like, Oh, if you're going to do that here, then I'll do this. And if you know, I'll do this here and you do that, or, you know, and they kind of like, cause they listen to each other. Right. And then what we do is the second time down, like then we, we make sure we lock the tempo in, make sure the tempo feels good. Make sure we got the key. And then the second time down, boom. I mean, these guys are pros. They don't they don't mess up. Like they nail it. The drummer is usually done in one take. The bass player is done in one take. 
the guitar player usually goes down with like a rhythm track and he's done with that track, but then he will go back and layer on more tracks on top of that, a lead, fills, whatever, other guitar parts. Same with the acoustic player. He might play acoustic and then he might grab a, a mandolin or a banjo and put a, a track, you know, whatever. Yeah. The, key, the keyboard player will go down with like, you know, whatever, maybe maybe like a B3 organ and then he'll put some piano on there and then he might put some synth or whatever. So they'll like layer. So you'll spend 30 to 45 minutes doing that. And about 45 minutes later, you're done. Like that song is tracked. You've got 40 plus tracks probably that have been tracked I, down on that song. And then you're ready to go to the next I one. I realize as you tell me all of this, I would like to be there for the fun of it. <laughs> but that's not the room I want to be in. Because that room, it's if I cheer, I have to be very careful not to, because you're paying for those sessions. Like this is like, you're trying to get things done in 90 minutes. I don't want that kind of high pressure. And I, and also I don't have any suggestions to <laughs> the guitarist on like, you yeah, know, just, just, just come, just no, come no, drink no, beer that's not what and, I'm and hang for. out. I don't want to just drink beer. I want to, I would like to be in a creative room. Oh, okay. You know, All right. a creative room where people are working on creative things and I can just be around the creativity. You well, know? yeah, I mean, well, it sounds like you need to sit down on some writing sessions. Though. Yes, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I want to yeah. learn what that genuinely. I know I'm. Three they're years all they're in, all different. Yeah. They're all different. I mean, I've I've been in writing rooms where it's been me and another guy with an acoustic guitar, and then I've been in the room with three other people writing, and then one person running the board where they're just building the track. So it's like they they vary, but. My favorite ones are when someone's building a track and we're like actively being creative in that way. Like acoustic writing's fun, but it's also just like, you know. Yeah. I'd like to um, be more involved in the creative writing process and stuff. Well, you should come over. So I'm writing this new record for that sync and licensing company. You should come over when Gabe and I are doing oh, it. Oh, for sure. Just come sit in. Yeah. Be check it out. Yeah. I like Gabe. Gabe's a good dude. Yeah. Excited to do that. Well, we, uh, I mean, it was, it's been, it's been a little over a month since we did our first podcast. So, I mean, well, anything else going on? Um, anything new with you or, or Will or Nathan or anybody, I guess. This guy's got everything going on. Yeah. Nathan's just <laughs> getting it. <laughs> what are we talking about? What I was just, I was just asking yeah. Corey and all, uh, kind of everybody collectively, like, kind of what was new over the last, month and a half since we did our first podcast this is our this is our second official hatch house podcast by the way if we didn't mention that yet but. yeah yeah we'll have another one out in a couple months yeah now we're gonna try to do one a week now oh yeah we're gonna yeah. crank we're gonna crank them out yeah we can do that yeah i i spent all, all of november in the woods like i usually do <laughs> yeah tell us about that that big buck you got uh, i got a nice deer in uh, in tennessee um I shot. I actually shot three deer in Tennessee this year. I shot, shot a doe with my longbow, um, November first, and uh, and then uh, I shot a smaller buck in the early muzzleloader season, and then you get two buck tags in Tennessee per season. So I had one buck tag left. What's that mean? Uh, buck is like a male deer. I know what a buck <laughs> is. What's a buck tag? <laughs> I I didn't know. I wasn't trying to be sarcastic. <laughs> I know what a fuck is? <laughs> it's a buck tag, uh, a, like a license. Like like, well, you buy your hunting license, right? And then there's like a certain amount of like tags you get for like the state 
the conservation department like issues a certain amount of permits tags for like depending on how many like animals there are in a given area. So, so like so you're allowed so you buy your hunting like you if you buy your deer license in Tennessee for the year, you're everybody that buys a big game license for deer is allowed to kill two buck deer, two male deer. So those are your two buck tags. Yes. Okay. So you have two buck tags. You can kill two bucks in a season. And then in in this area, this unit, um, you can actually shoot quite a few does if you want, um, just because the deer population is pretty high. Ah, so you have to get a permit to kill the bucks. And you get two of those, but the the deer the, you're allowed to the does. Well, the does you you still allowed. have to have a, a hunting license, but yeah, you can you can you can those shoot. a female deer. Yes, yeah, you can shoot multiple. Oh, a deer, but a female. <laughs> there you go. There's the there it is. There's the song. Right? That's, That's right. right. That's yeah. the song. Yep. But uh, but if anyway, anyone so needs any tips about hunting? Just let me. Yeah, know. Nathan's a pro. I think you have some songwriting yeah. in there too. Yeah, I never heard that before. You never heard that? I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> um, so uh. So I had one buck tag left. So I was trying to hold out for a bigger buck. Go ahead. Sorry. So you get three buck tags no, or you get two? You get two. Okay. So I, I shot the first one. Okay. And I had one left. So you, you, okay. So I'm understanding this a little bit better now. So you got it in January of last year. You get a permit. You get each year. Well, you buy it. Over. Yeah. When I, whenever you buy it, it's good for a year. And there's a time of year. November is usually the best time. Yeah, well, the hunting season in Tennessee for deer usually starts at the last weekend of, usually like the last week of September and runs through the first week of January. The mm. first part's just archery only. Then it goes into early November. It switches to archery and early muzzleloader. And then mid-November to late November, like right before Thanksgiving, it goes to rifle. And then it stays rifle season through the end of the season, which is usually like just after the new year. Like the season closed a couple of days ago, I think. But okay, um, so it's not like uh, like I remember back when I worked a corporate job, I get vacation days for the year, and I tried to not use them right away. You're yeah. you're thinking like November is the time where you shoot your first. Well, November's you're not, the, you're not no, like January. I got my license. I'm gonna get my two yeah, buck no, tags right away. No, November November is the best month usually for for deer, just because that's when <laughs> that's when the that's when the rut's going. That's when you know when the does are coming into heat. The rut's going like that's usually the best time to hunt. So, and usually early season it's warm out. I don't like to hunt warm weather. Um, I'm curious about. Let's say they were to flip it on its head, like do the opposite season. The deer. What do you Come mean? after the humans or what? Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that, yeah, poor phrasing. No, just flip the seasons around. So cool. if you were to hunt from end of January all the way till September 1st, are the deer less active? I know there's a, it's a rut, um, you know, the rut's obviously very important, but like, what's the, what's the big difference? Cause like, well, yeah, I mean, it has to do a lot with the rut with like the breeding season. And then like, you know, you don't want to be shooting the does in the springtime when they just have their fawns, when their fawns are like days old and they're like nursing, you don't want to be shooting the does. So yeah. like you shouldn't have a hunting season then. Um, yeah. It's just typically like falls a time of harvest, right. For, for agriculture, for animals. Like it's, I mean, you, there are like other seasons for other game animals. Like there's a spring Turkey season. Um, there's also a fall Turkey season, but, but generally like a lot of, a lot of hunting season takes place in the fall. Um, and for, for white tailed deer, it just makes sense. Yeah. Um, that's your like biologically. That's like your favorite time, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I live for the month of November. That's my favorite month of the year. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, I, I ended up, I hunted some in, in, you know, October, um, didn't, didn't get anything. And then I shot that doe, my longbow November 1st, 
I shot the small buck with my muzzle loader a few days after that. And then I had one buck tag left. So I was kind of holding out for, I wanted to try to get a, a bigger one. And, uh, um, I had a few different, I have a trail camera that I put out in this one spot and I have a few different pretty nice deer on camera that I would have been happy to get. So I was kind of holding out for one of them. And then in the meantime, I always go back home to upstate New York and hunt every, every fall. So, um, the last few years I've been hunting in the Adirondacks, which we kind of touched on earlier in the, in the episode here, but the Adirondack state park is a 6 million acre park. It's about half and half public slash private owned land. So there's about 3 million public acres and 3 million private acres. So there's all kinds of public uh, access to just millions and millions of acres. You can, you can hike in the woods and hike for 10, 15, 20, some places, even 30 miles in a straight line and not hit another road. Do like you, it's, do you it's go big by wilderness. Uh, I go with my dad and a couple friends usually, but like <laughs> we usually hunt by ourselves. Like we go hunt together. Like we're at like, you know, we rent like an Airbnb or have like a kind of a camp that we rent together. Um, but then you, everybody goes out for the day and you split up and you go like in different directions. How do you find your way back? A compass. Really? Yeah. Well, you use GPS. Like I have, have a, a mapping, I, I have a mapping too. system on, on my phone, like an app that works really well, but, but you, you need to, you can't like rule number one of hunting in the big woods. Cause this is different than hunting like in middle Tennessee or in farmland or near like near civilization basically like rule number one is like you can't trust your life to a a gps like any battery operated thing like if you don't know how to navigate yourself out of the woods with a compass and your and your phone dies or your gps dies like you're gonna freeze to death or something like you you know yeah so so you gotta you gotta know how to how to use a compass panera bread without without (laughs) yeah you you should stay out of the adirondacks where is panera bread (laughs) it's down the road no yeah Yeah, it's not too far so so anyway so i went i went to the adirondacks uh for my annual annual hunt up there uh college buddy uh good friend of mine and and, uh and will's um dustin is uh from Stowe, Vermont, him and his dad hunt all over the Northeast. They're, they're big woods hunters. They hunt that style. And, uh, they came over to meet us. So it was my dad, myself and the two of them, the four of us rented a little, uh, uh, Airbnb. I'm actually building a camp up there right now. I bought some land. I'm building a little camp up there, nice. but it's not done yet. So we couldn't hunt out of it this year. So rented a little, little cabin and uh, we hunted for a week up there. Uh, just after Thanksgiving, it was like the last week of the season up there. And, uh, and end of November, first couple of days of December. And, um, I didn't get a deer, but Dustin got a really nice buck. That was, uh, that was fun to be a part of. So, um, I'll tell it quick, but basically the, the day that he killed his deer, um, we were all basically hunting in the same general area. But when I say that general area, I'm talking about an area that's 10 miles by five miles. It's a big area. So we were all spread out. Dustin was probably four miles, three or four miles from me as the crow flies in a straight line when he shot his deer. So, and my dad and his dad were in other areas too. So he got it. He shot a really nice deer. Um, there was snow on the ground. So, um, a common method to hunt that way when you're in the mountains like that, there's uh it's big woods, it's big country. There's not a, there's not a lot of deer. So, um, deer density is lower. There might only be five deer per square mile kind of thing. Um, common way to do it to find the deer is to track. So if you get snow, you can see the deer tracks in the snow and you can find 
what you believe to be a big buck track and you just basically follow it wherever it goes through the mountains until you catch up to it and try to try to kill it it's tough it's hard and you have to definitely be comfortable in the big woods and comfortable getting yourself out of the woods because you never know where you're going to end up it's not like you're following a trail or hunting a certain area like you're going to pick up that buck track and you're basically going to live the life of that deer and you're going to just follow him wherever he goes so you never know where you're going to end up which is really cool but you also have to kind of know what you're doing Anyway, that's what Dustin did. He got on this buck track early in the morning. Uh, he followed him for a few miles, was able to catch up to him and, and, uh, and shoot him. And uh, it was a great hunt. It was a really nice buck. It was an eight-point big you have buck. like walkie-talkies? Yeah, we had two-way radios. But when you get far enough apart and when you get enough terrain between you, like mountains and stuff in between, they don't come in very good. So funny you mentioned that. Um, when Dustin shot his deer, um, he got on the radio to get to let us know um, my dad could hear him, but I couldn't hear him, but I was close enough to my dad that I could hear my dad. Were you guys so, on like channel four or something? Yeah. 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 Or channel one or whatever it was, but like <laughs> all four of us had two way radios, uh, but like, okay. so, but, but the thing is, what's funny is that like, I could hear only my dad's half of the conversation. So I'm, I was actually on my own buck track. I was tracking a buck that was, uh, that was with a doe, like chasing a doe. And I heard my dad come on the radio and say something like, yeah, Dustin, I can hear you. And then so I'm listening. I took my radio up and I can't hear anything on Dustin's end, like not even static. There's nothing coming across. So it's just silence. And then I hear my dad come back on again. So I was just getting my dad's half of the conversation. But I heard my dad say, you know, something like, oh, awesome. Congrats. Like, good job. So I, I was like, oh, he must have got one. Right. Mm. So figure out long story short, figured out that he got one. And so my dad and I and Dustin's dad, Mike, we all left the woods Hopped in our trucks, drove around to the other road where where uh, we had dropped off Dustin, and then we met him and we we hiked in. So he shot his deer, but where like he tracked it, ended up shooting it. It was, it was well as the crow flies. It was about a mile off the road. It What's was about, that mean as the crow? Like flies? straight line, straight okay. straight <laughs> straight straight line. So you said it about, once earlier. I was like, think about getting here from I get it. From here I, to Panera Bread, you have to take a left and a right. Yeah, yeah. And crows then, fly is yeah, just, but as a crow can just yeah. fly straight to Panera Bread. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. So I wasn't so, gonna say it unless you brought it up again. <laughs> so anyway, um, it was a in a straight line. It was about a mile off the road, eight tenths of a mile, but hiking in to get there having to you know go over the mountain and through the swamp and you know over the next ridge it's about a mile and a half it, you know and so we they so had it's a, a mile away crows flies away yeah right yeah exactly <laughs> so so uh so he had a they crows had a sled fly. they had a they had crows a, fly yeah, Clo- yeah crows cro- flight away no no, no I said, the, I the way the crow flies fly it's like a mile by the way the crow flies that's the way you use it a that's mile by say. the way the crows crow fly. flies i was just reminding <laughs> you that they fly so yeah so, so anyway, they had a sled, so we took the, the, uh, the jet sled in, we could put the deer in the sled and like kind of drag them in the snow, which makes it easier. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Hiked in a mile and a half, got, you know, got the deer, took a bunch of video pictures and stuff. Uh, Dustin actually has a, uh, YouTube channel that he does with some friends of his. They started a little, uh, hunting channel a few years ago. It's actually, uh, right here on my hat, it's called Northwoods Whitetails. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh. He actually had a GoPro on his head and got the whole hunt on video, which is really cool. So um, they're going to be putting that on on YouTube here pretty soon. But cool. But yeah, so we went in, 
got the deer with him, took a bunch of video and stuff, pictures, all that, and then, you know, drug the deer back out and uh, celebrated, drank a bunch of bush lattes. Um, it was a fun time. It was a really cool experience. It was fun to have like the whole group of us go in, recover the deer and take it out. Like it was just, it was a fun day. So that, that was my Adirondack trip. Uh, I didn't get a deer, but, but Dustin got a nice one. And, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, there's a picture of that on my, on my Instagram too. But then to wrap this up, it's been long winded, but I, I got my nice buck back in Tennessee. So I came back to Tennessee after that and mid December, um, I, I got lucky and, uh, had a real nice buck come in. Actually, uh, I had four or five different pretty decent bucks on my trail camera in this particular area where I'd been hunting. And this buck that I ended up killing was bigger than any of those. So he was, he was a nice one. He's my second best buck. Um, nice ever. He's a good one. He came in and, uh, and I, I was able to make a good shot and, and uh, got him and that it was, a. Uh, Making good, venison good, kebabs good, now. Good ending to the season. Yeah, now I'm making venison shish I know, kebabs. I know very little about hunting. Very, very little. <laughs> I think that's evident. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> by the crows flies away? <laughs> they what do about, fly away. They also fly. What about fly. buckshot? I've heard of a bar <laughs> called buckshot. Buckshot is a type of ammunition that, uh, so there's Shotgun. like, yeah, so there's, there's birdshot, buckshot slugs so like basically so basically well if you think of it like this a slug it's a bullet is a is a big hunk of lead a bullet that you could shoot like a deer with or something bird shot is basically a shotgun shell loaded with a bunch of pellets little bbs so it's like when you see guys hunting ducks and stuff and they the ducks are flying and they shoot them it's uh, not one bullet going to hit that duck it's like you shoot your shotgun and it's a spray of like a hundred pellets that spray out in a pattern Interesting. That's birdshot. Buckshot is almost like a hybrid of the two. Buckshot is like birdshot, but they're like only a few pellets and they're big. There was a bar on Sixth Street in Austin called Buckshot, and yeah. I just thought it was dollar uh, dollar shots. That's <laughs> what I always thought it was. <laughs> they should have. They should yeah, have one buckshot. They should have a one buckshot there. I thought. Yeah. I think that's what it was. I don't think yeah. it had anything to do with yeah with a with ammunition or hunting. Yeah. That I makes think it was sense. Just one dollar yeah. shots. One dollar shot. Yeah. But you know, hey, who knows? Maybe I think we should all there. go hunting together. Uh, yeah, yeah, and record Corey it. Does this stuff for you? you yeah, Corey hunts. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I didn't get to hunt this year because <laughs> um, a paper company owns the area where we hunt, mm-hmm. and they decided to cut down trees. Ah, yeah. In uh, December on break, so yep. there was like no point in yep. going to hunt. That's a, that's oh, funny. They you mentioned equipment out there, and it was yeah. loud. Yeah, and- it's funny. Loud. Funny you mentioned that because that's a common thing in like in the Northeast. Not so much in the Adirondacks anymore because they it's all like it's all the public land is protected yeah. forever. While, but there are still big chunks of private land in the Adirondacks that are still owned by paper companies, and they do very selective cuts. Not much, but there is some logging that still goes on. Which is actually, it's funny because the right type of logging, and I could go down a rabbit hole on this, uh, but the right type of logging is actually really good for um, for wildlife habitat. Um, but but uh, in northern Maine, I've hunted in northern Maine as well, and that's like the northern half of Maine is all paper company land. There's like millions of acres of it, right? So it's like your favorite hunting spot that you go to up there, you get there and it's like, oh man, they just cut all the trees down. You know, it's like, but but there are like pros and cons to it, right? Like there's, it can be really good to log one. One of the downsides of the Adirondacks being protected and forever wild is that the forest now is all ancient forest. So there's no food for the deer. That's part of the reason why that land can't sustain that many deer, because once the trees get gigantic, 
there's no more browse. The deer can't reach anything to eat. So they literally have to live off of like moss and ferns and stuff like that and mushrooms. Like, whereas like if you, if you had a logging operation going on and you clear cut an area and you meaning like you cut every single tree in like a hundred yard area. Well, what happens is now all the sun, like that's a wide open area. Now all the sunlight gets in and what happens is all the, the new green growth grows up in the middle of it. And now what's that? It's food for all the deer, rabbits, other, Mm -hmm. other wild game. Like, so there's pros and cons to it. The worst part about it in the big woods up North is like, if the loggers cut an area where the deer yard up in the winter time, because the winters get pretty severe up there with snow. So there's certain areas where the deer go and yard up to survive the winter. And if they cut the deer yards, it can be really detrimental to the deer herd. So it's more about like, like wildlife biologists and hunters kind of educating the trying, trying to educate the, the loggers on like, Hey, can you cut like the hardwood ridge over here, but like leave the softwood pines over here because the deer all yard up over here. Like, you know, I actually kind of like it because I mean, we hunt with feeders and deer stands. So yeah, yeah. just put a, deer stand out in this big clear cut right area. yeah it's nice it's right like, you put a you I put a feeder out there and a stand and the deer all come out to it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's interesting um people it's just like we all have we're all kind of like venn diagrams like there's overlap right mm-hmm. i'm hearing you guys talk about hunting and i'm like looking i'm like yeah. <laughs> i got no overlap in this section well, i'm interested I'm looking, by I'm, all so means. i'm looking mostly kinda, at you yeah, because yeah. i know he get i know he understands what i'm talking <laughs> so about i think so you explaining like, hockey I'm, to nathan actually <laughs> to nathan yeah well hockey <laughs> yeah. i i i went to the game and <laughs> i overlapped a little bit with hockey there's more of an overlap um <laughs> I, I like learning about this other stuff, but it's kind of kind of cool because, like, you know, I'm sure there's aspects of me that you know we haven't gotten into that don't overlap with yeah have oh, any yeah. overlap. You know, and that's for that's for another whole episode too. Yeah, we that's for picking your three brains. And four, yeah. yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't. I'd like to go hunting and and, and see. We all could that go type of uh, stuff. if you really wanted to go hunting. I'd take you. The first thing I would do would be to take you tur- I, turkey you hunting in the alone. spring. What? Can't leave me alone. I can't. No, I wouldn't leave you alone. No, you I can't you'd be, navigate. You'd be right next to me. I'd have to like we. Well, I wouldn't take you to the big woods. I would tie, take you out tie here. And, your leg to my leg with like a string. I would, I would take you out here so in, in Tennessee somewhere. But no, uh, yeah, what, we'd lose what, you in three seconds. Yeah. <laughs> what I would do is I would take you uh, turkey hunting in the spring. Would be the first thing I would do. Okay. Um, one, the weather's a little nicer. It's not as cold and brutal. Two. It's just more, I don't know, turkey hunting is a little bit more active as far as like you're kind of moving around more. You're, mm. um, yeah, turkey hunting is fun. I, I would I would take you turkey hunting in the spring if you really want to try hunting sometime just to tag along for fun. I yeah, would I don't do, really I would like do that turkey, first. so I wouldn't have a problem with it. I would, yeah. that would be fun. Yeah, shoot, shoot I, would, I want to shoot a turkey. Yeah, Will's talked about going with me before turkey hunting. We, we should do that sometime. Yeah, yeah, GPS wise, not a good idea. Um, yeah, I'd, my... I'd have to go through like a whole hunter safety course though first, right? In order to get a license to actually hunt, I think you could tag along with me. I don't know. I don't know if you need a license to just go. I'd want to shoot. You want to shoot? Yeah, yeah. I'd, then you'd, then you'd have to yeah. get your hunter safety course. Yeah, but that's not hard to get. That's not hard to do. But, but um, is it like a two it's hours? A, it's a or course. I, you got to go to it. Um, I did it when I was like ten. It's like an all day. It might be like six hours. You go and like you take, you know, you listen to the instructor, you take a little test, you pass the test, you might shoot, you know, shoot your gun, make sure you understand firearm safety and get your certificate and then you can buy a license. Nice. But 
Um, duck hunting is I, I'm not a big duck hunter I haven't done much of it but duck hunting is a fun type of hunting where it's like it could be like the four of us just in a duck blind and it's just like a very social like you can talk the whole yeah. time yeah. You, can, yeah, like, you only have yeah. to be quiet when the ducks are coming in right like there's no <laughs> ducks in the sky you can just do this and shoot the shit and then it's like when you see some ducks if there's one guy there that knows how to call and he kind of calls them in and then you have, you have to kind of get quiet and get ready but then you, you, you shoot all the ducks or you shoot them when they come in and then like then you can just go back to just this, you know, like that's a very social, people like it because it's a very social, you know, whereas if you're deer hunting, it's pretty serious. Like you're just quiet. Yeah. You know? Don't yeah. No, I'm not looking for the, the serious. One. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking for the social <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. You'd, be a, you'd be a good duck hunter. Yeah. 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 Good duck hunter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went pheasant hunting. Uh, if we're still on the subject, I guess I went pheasant hunting for the first time this past fall. I went to South Dakota, which if you don't know, and I didn't know this because um, I don't really do much bird hunting other than turkey hunting, uh, South Dakota is like the pheasant hunting capital of the country. Wow. There's really? like more wild pheasants in the state of South Dakota, it's, but it's it's perfect habitat for them. Like I think prairie, if there was a lineup grass. Of, of birds and you asked me to point what out what a pheasant is, you wouldn't know. Pheasant, I wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> yeah, Nathan has no idea what a pheasant I have is. No idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have no idea. Like, I, I couldn't even tell you. Uh, we should. Well, so when we get video, we're gonna. So we're if gonna, I ever get murdered and there's a lineup, I hope that you yeah. uh, can so, pick out oh, a human I being. Can pick up, yeah, different <laughs> types of humans for sure. Once, once we get once, different once, types once, of birds. Once no. we get video on this podcast, we're gonna revisit the pheasant thing, and we're gonna put like a computer screen up here with like five different kinds of birds. One will be a peacock, and we'll have him <laughs> see if he can figure out which one the pheasant. I think is. I can do the peacock one. Um. <laughs> But we'll get, we'll get a parrot, a peacock, a turkey, a pheasant, a ruffed grouse. There's a peacock and four pheasants. Yeah. <laughs> Fix the peacock. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, um, pheasant hunting was that was super fun. So South Dakota, the habitat's perfect for pheasants. It's all prairie grass, cornfields. It's like perfect cover for pheasants. Um, I never done it before, but I went out with a group of friends and uh, the, they go do it every year, the weekend of Thanksgiving, and uh, it was super fun. Again, a very social kind of thing. Like what we, we didn't hunt any of like the, the prairie grass. We hunted the cornfields and what they did was like the farmers up there would cut and like South Dakota is like the Great Plains, right? It's flatter than a pancake out there. And so these flat cornfields and they would cut all the corn, except they would leave these little strips that were maybe 40 yards wide by like, they'd be like hundreds of yards long, right? these little strips of standing corn, and that would be the cover for the birds to hide in, right? Because, they, you know, the birds need to hide in, like, that cover because otherwise a hawk or something can pick them off, right? So what we would do is, and, and it's fun because you hunt with dogs. So you get to see the dogs work, which is super fun. So we had labs, and we would we would show up at, this, at the end of one of these strips of standing corn, and we'd have, like, we had, like, 10 guys. So we had, like, two or three dogs. So we'd had four guys would would basically line up in a line shoulder to shoulder and just walk, push through the, the standing corn. And then you'd have two guys winging on the left and two guys winging on the right. And then the other two guys would go down to the far end of that strip of corn and they would be the blockers. So they would get anything that would like get down the far end. And then you would basically send the dogs in and then the four guys pushing through would walk just behind the dogs and the dogs would go through and zigzag through the corn and flush the birds, right? So then the pheasants would flush and fly up in the air and then everybody would shoot at them and try to... But here's the thing, you can't shoot the hens. You can't shoot the females. You can only shoot 
the the uh, the roosters. So you have to be able when one flushes up and flies, you have to be able to recognize whether it's male or female before you shoot. And so what you do is everybody yells. So like one flushes up, and if it's a hen, everybody's like hen hen hen, and then nobody shoots. And if it's a rooster, it was like rooster rooster, and then it's like boom 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 boom, and everybody starts shooting at it, you know. <laughs> But that was actually pretty fun. It was it was exciting. It was like a fun way to hunt. You have to definitely be careful. Like you have to like we went over some pretty strict rules as far as like, you know, firearm safety because, you know, you have a bunch of guys with guns in a very small area. So like yet like one of the number one rules is you don't shoot a bird on the ground. You got to wait till they get to like 10 or 11 o'clock up in the air. Because if you shoot straight across, you could hit the guy out in the side. So it's very ser- like serious in the sense that like firearm safety like you have to let the bird flush completely get up in the air so everybody that's shooting at it is shooting up and it's safe i think vince vaughn got shot exactly wedding crashers that's right and that was a pheasant hunt you're exactly right it's as much as nathan knows about pheasant hunting is wedding crashers (laughs) yes yeah that's all yeah that's they shot vince vaughn right in the ass that was bird shot by the way that's bird shot so not bug shot vince vaughn got a bunch of uh bb's in his ass cheek and dick cheney too right Mm. He shot, he shot in the no, face no, or in no, the chest? Dick Cheney got shot in the face, I think, when he was VP. Yeah, they were on a pheasant hunt and somebody shot him. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. I'm not going pheasant, pheasant <laughs> I know too many people that have been shot by pheasant, pheasants. You know Vince Vaughn and well, Dick Cheney the Vince now. Vaughn one was probably Hollywood. I don't think he really got shot, but <laughs> Dick Cheney did. Dick Cheney got was, shot. just rolled with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, sidetracked on hunting there for a while, but uh, hunting season's <laughs> over, so we can... Put that on the back burner till next fall. Um, yeah, when's the uh, when's the next tune hat show? Is it Tuesday? I don't even know what that means anymore. I guess you have so many venues. Show. Well, we used to do like specific um, tune hatch associated shows or like uh, pop up shows and stuff, but we we kind of got away from that. Now it's just venues are using our website to put on their own shows. I want to start putting on our own shows. And uh, have people come on the podcast and and like do shows that are like hatched shows, yeah. And and try and get uh, artists in front of different audiences, like at different venues in town. So I'll probably start that up in um, February or March. But um, should we get like a little bell for them to get hatched? Just hit it and be like, "You've been hatched," <laughs> and then they, then they have to play the show the next week. <laughs> do we like show up outside their house no i mean like after the, the podcast and like thanks for being on this you've been officially hatched and then hit the gong or whatever it is yeah um <laughs> they'd be I, like what was that <laughs> i don't know about a bell does this that doesn't do it it's like more like a crunching noise no crack like an cracking an egg yeah <laughs> yeah there you go but um, you have to eat a raw egg. Yeah, that's that's how it works. Yeah. You eat a raw egg on Everyone, a podcast, ooh, and then you can yeah, you can play yeah. in front of a place. No, always wanted salmonella. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, there's there's a lot of shows going on. Um, you know, obviously check out the website, and uh, you know Blaine's got uh, his third EP dropping later uh, this yeah, month, uh, the 26th of January. Yeah, mark your calendars. We can stream it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Right? Available on every DSP in the world. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. You got anything to plug? You got to um stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah, Will's we're going to we're going to revisit uh Will Will's um, you know, next project and we'll keep bugging him about it until he gets exactly. back in the studio and 
Oh, it's going to happen. Cranks out some songs. I'm going to be in the room, too. He's going to do it. <laughs> he will. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, we'll, that's exciting. We'll have to get some uh, behind-the-scenes uh, footage for Toon Hatch. For sure. Totally. Corey, you got anything to plug? Um, I mean, I got Will's remix. Probably been sitting on my computer for about a year. Let's go. We got to put that out. Put that out. Let's get that one out, Keep, yeah. The, the people need to hear it. Yeah, they do. The folks need to hear it. Yeah. Um. Well, thanks, guys, for coming on. With the outro, we'll put the listen to Will Pellerin's remix. By yeah, put the, put the, put, a, put a clip of that on the outro. Uh, yeah, here's a little sound by. And this was Hatch House. Yeah. yeah. So we'll be back uh, probably next week. We're gonna try to try to be as consistent as we can with these, sure. with one a week, and we're eventually gonna start getting some of our friends to sit in and get some guests on here and get as many uh, new uh, new faces and names on here as we can, voices, whatever you want to call it, and. Uh, It'll be pretty much based around music most of the time. I'll I'll not talk hunting too much, <laughs> and, uh, or hockey. But um, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. I'm I'm excited to to fire this up and do a bunch of these, and and uh, hopefully people people want to listen for sure. Appreciate all three of you. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, Corey. Thanks for running down. Yeah, thanks, Corey. Thanks, Nate. All right, thanks for listening. See you guys soon. Peace. They thought that Louis was even love, so I-